1132 of the Red Church Bibles. That's page 1132, chapter 5 of Romans, starting from verse 1 through to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good morning. Uh, good to see you all. It's a real privilege to be here. Uh, my, my name's Jeff. I'm the, the pastor of Ballycullen Community Church, which was planted. Some of folks newer to the church here may not know, planted uh, from a group from Grosvenor left here over 19 years ago. So it's 19 years ago Ballycullen Community Church was planted. Uh, I know you've had then a church planted at Blackrock as well. Uh, and we're uh, at Ballycullen are grateful, grateful for the continued links, uh, the continued partnership. Thank you for your prayers, your supports. A number of our kids were at that core camp as well, uh, which was great and, and working along together. And, and, and it's wonderful to see the churches do uh, various things together as well. So thanks again. Thanks for your prayers. And if you're visiting here and new and you were expecting to see Ed, I apologize. Uh, I'm assuming he'll be back next week. Uh, so do come back next week and, and hear him, uh, the, the regular pastor uh, preacher. But do keep your Bibles open. Uh, Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. If you're wondering what the accent is, it's a Donegal accent, by the way, uh, the most beautiful county in Ireland. Hopefully you'll visit it sometime. Uh, that's the accent. But let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray as we come to His Word first of all. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are a speaking God. We come dependent on you. We pray that we would hear your voice. Pray for the kids as they're being taught 
that they'll grasp the great truths of your word and how wonderful Jesus is. And we pray for us now, whatever circumstances we're going through, that we, that you would speak to us in Jesus, our Savior's name, we pray. Amen. If you sign up for anything, if you're like me, I like to know, is there, is there a benefit towards this? Is there a benefit? You know, whether it is signing up for a new electricity or gas supplier when they come round your door, I'm going, well, let me see, is this going to be a benefit or not? If you sign up for Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it is, how, how am I going to benefit? Is this going to be worthwhile? Is it going to be worth it? And I'll weigh those things up and then decide, make a decision. But what about Christianity? When it comes to Christianity, have you ever weighed up and figured, is there a benefit to being a Christian? Is it worth it? Have you wondered that considering maybe the times that we're living in? And it's not easy to necessarily be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Christian in the, in the school place or, or maybe in the workplace these days. And you go, why should you bother? Is there any benefit? You might get teased for being a Christian. You might seem an absolute oddball. Why should you bother? Are there any benefits to being a Christian? It, does it bring any joy, lasting satisfaction? in that regard. Can being a Christian put a smile on your face? I wonder, can it? Does it? Well, Paul in this letter to Romans has a purpose in writing it, uh, uh, and it's to gain support, and there's whole lots of reasons, but he's actually really going through what is the gospel and implications of that. And in the first three chapters, he has really outlined our need, our need to be justified, our need to be declared righteous before God. And He really has shown none of us are righteous. We're all sinners. And then at the end of chapter 3, He gives a solution. We can be declared righteous. We can be justified because of what Jesus has done. And then through trusting in Him alone and faith alone is the emphasis in chapter 4, is how we can be declared right before God. By the way, that's different than all other religions out there. To be declared right before God, based on trusting in Him alone, not on your works, is different from all other religions. That's what makes Christianity unique. It's through faith alone. And so, Paul has outlined that, and then chapter 5, verse 1, is going, that's how it happens. Here is now, here we see now the benefits of being justified, the fruits of justification. And that's why chapter 5, verse 1 begins with that verse, that word, therefore, and here's the result, since we have been justified, declared right before God through faith, just through trusting in Him alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first bit, we have peace with God. Why, why peace? And what's this peace about? I mean, we all want peace in the world, don't we? We'd, we'd love the world to have peace certainly isn't at the minute. We'd love even a bit of peace inside, the chaos that could be frantic in your life and the anxiety that could be going on. But this idea of peace with God isn't so much to do with 
a peace, personal feeling you have inside. This is to do with an objective reality that you need and have before God. Because, and that's what chapters 1 to 4 has been outlining. Humanity has this problem of sin, which means that we are not at peace with God. In fact, we're described as enemies of God. Down, like, actually, in verse 10, says that. Why? Because we've all not loved God perfectly. We've turned from Him And as a result, because He's just, God's anger, His wrath, is set against humanity because we've rejected Him. And that means we're in danger. But because Jesus took the punishment, took the wrath in our place on the cross, we can now be at peace with God. No longer under His wrath, but a peace. And verse 2 goes on to say, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have gained access with God. So, what is the first benefit of being a Christian from this passage? It's so, ultimately, firstly, we have friendship with God. We have friendship with God now. And friendship implies peace. We're no longer an enemy, we're at peace but also it has that idea of access, that we have access to God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We have friendship with God. And this is a real privilege, this access, this friendship, because because of sin, actually, access to God is denied. It was in the Garden of Eden. As soon as sin entered into the world, what happened? They got banished from God's special place from the Garden showing that access to Him was limited, denied. But then God in grace rescued His people Israel, and He came to dwell with them in the desert, high in the tabernacle. But this tabernacle was showing access to God is denied. In fact, there was this outer court barrier, and only the Israelites were allowed inside that because access was denied to the Gentiles and everybody else. But then as you went in through into the outer court, there was in this tent, this tabernacle, and actually only priests were allowed into the tabernacle, into the holy place, into the tent part, because it's basically saying access to Him is denied. And then inside that tabernacle, there was this big thick curtain, as you know, and only the high priest could enter into there only once a year. The whole thing was saying access is denied. But when Christ came, and when He died on the cross, you know what happened to that curtain which became, the tabernacle became the temple? It got ripped in two from top to bottom, showing Christ has opened the way through His death for us to have access into the presence of God Himself. That's what He's accomplished. See, we have friendship with God now, which means we're we're no longer an enemy, we're at peace, but we also have access into His presence. We have friendship with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all because of Christ's death. And that's an amazing privilege That is the fruit, the benefit of being justified. 
Do we realize even that that's a privilege? You know, we take it for granted, maybe even live in this side of the cross compared to Old Testament believers. We can hear from God through His Word. We can talk to Him in prayer at any time, in any place. It doesn't have to be a special location. We have friendship with God, no longer an enemy because of what Christ has done. And yet, do I avail of that privilege? Do I read His Word, commune with Him, talk back to Him in prayer? Not as often as I should. And yet, it's open. All the time through faith in Jesus. So, even whenever I mess up, and I feel guilty, and you might think, you know, can pray. I still have the friendship, the access with God, because it's not based on me and my performance. It's based on Christ and what He has done. And God doesn't ditch us. The way is still open if you're trusting in Jesus alone. Maybe you and I need some triggers to remind us of this privilege, that I'm a friend of God that I'm a child of God. Maybe you need notes up in your bathroom wall. I've got some up in our shower room, actually, saying the privileges that we have. Put chapter 5, verse 1 up. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Put it up on your table in your workplace. You might get a few strange looks from some of your friends or work colleagues. But this is a privilege that we forget. We have friendship with God now. And that actually can put a smile on your face and bring joy when you truly know you have this friendship, this relationship. But does that mean life's going to be easy? Does that mean you're going to have smiles all the time? Because <laughs> you're a Christian no, the Bible's pretty realistic. In fact, if you come across people who say everything's going to be sorted once you become a Christian, well, they haven't read their Bibles, have they? And they haven't even read the next verse of chapter 5, because look at what it says in verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. It's not what we'd normally say, is it? Rejoice in our sufferings. Now, notice it doesn't say rejoice about the sufferings. Sufferings implies hardship, it's but it's rejoice in our sufferings. Now, yeah, that's difficult, isn't it? That is not easy. Why would he say that? Why would Paul say this after saying, wow, it's amazing you're justified now, rejoice in your sufferings? Well, look what it goes on to say, for, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. You see, secondly, we see we have purpose in suffering now. We have purpose in suffering now. Now, that does not mean this is easy, especially if you're going through a difficulty at this moment in time. And it doesn't also mean, it doesn't mean that you'll see God's purpose. You might never know the reason for what you're going through. But God still has a plan. 
And we have purpose and suffering now because of God's plan. Because of God's plan. And what's His plan? Well, it's to be used by God to produce perseverance, character, and hope. Now, this doesn't mean that we look or seek suffering, but it's got part of God's plan. I mean, you could end up suffering. I mean, there's some folks here wanting to go off to missionaries, uh, off to North Africa. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, often missionaries, not to dampen your trip away, but when they go off in obedience to God's call, and they go to a foreign country, they quite often pick up sicknesses, illnesses, because they're in a new place and they've come across some sort of uh, exposed to, to new diseases, and, and you go, whoa, why, why is that happening? But God is still a purpose in it all, to produce perseverance, which leads to character. It's not easy if you're in the midst of difficulties, as I say, and we don't necessarily know why, but God uses these difficulties, and you've seen it in people's lives, I'm sure, to produce character, to produce change. I mean, you know that when it comes to physical change. You go to the gym, you know the phrase, no pain, no gain. You got to pump the iron to get his biceps as big as these, you know. Uh, didn't realize that was funny. But I don't go to the gym, as you can imagine. But to exercise for fitness, you got to go through work and pain to, to have the gain. Well, actually, God uses our difficulties to bring progress, to grow in character. And I'm sure I know you've met people who have suffered a lot, and yet they keep trusting Jesus, and the love of Christ just shines from them. There's deep character there, isn't there? Because of what they've been through. God's process to bring about change doesn't always include what we want, but He uses it. I know myself, I've learned more through lessons through actually sickness than studies. I got wiped out for a year to pull out a theological college, and I learned more because of that than in my pastoral counseling course. And if you knew me, I've still a lot more to learn when it comes to that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't have had an ounce of compassion if that hadn't had happened to me. Because the reality is, God works and brings about change. Everybody's suffering, and actually, everybody will suffer in this world if they live long enough. But if you're a Christian, knowing that there's a purpose and a plan behind it can help you keep going. It can help you keep going. But it's not easy. And in this passage, this word that suffering is actually couldn't even imply the persecutions that can happen for being a Christian. You can suffer really for being justified can happen in the workplace. Maybe you're encouraged to do something unethical, morally wrong in business. can happen in medical professions. can happen even in education now, and you'll suffer for it. can happen for you if you're at school, suffering. Everybody else is going out to the, the parties or, and, and doing some inappropriate things, uh, and, and you know you can't do it, so you decide, I'm not going to partake or attend in that. But by doing so, you're made to feel a 
the odd one out, the complete odd ball. And that's a form of suffering, and yet God can use it. It can be in relationships. Maybe you're married to someone who isn't a Christian, and yes, you're to stay in that marriage, but it's difficult because, you know, a different outlook on life can be some conflict internal. By the way, it's why if you're not married, and the Bible says you should only marry a Christian and date a Christian, but even making that decision to put Jesus first can lead to forms of suffering because you're choosing singleness in the present, which will be better in the long run, rather than giving in to the pressure to have a relationship. It's not easy. It can be difficult. But God uses suffering squeezes us for our good, just as an orange is squeezed, and out comes a sweet juice. So, when people are squeezed, the godly character can ooze out. Maybe you're going through a real difficult time at the moment. Maybe that's why you've arrived here at church today to hear from God, to let Him speak to you and bring about change. Joni Erickson Tata, a number of you will have heard about her, a well-known Christian who at age 17, she dived into a pool and was rendered paralyzed, a quadriplegic, unable to use her arms and her legs. You should read her books, listen to her, devastating. She's been through a lot of cancer then on top of that, and apparently in constant pain. And yet, she's a glowing example when you see the character just uses out. She once wrote this, though, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, she said that's not theologically correct, but she said she'd like to have it there. So then she would say to Jesus, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you, and the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Remarkable, isn't it? She could say that. She was glad for what that produced. True character. The bruising of the blessing. And that's evident to see in her life. And yet, as God has this plan, it's ultimately the last bit is to produce hope as verse 4 says, because in suffering, in deep suffering, and people are go going through deep suffering around the world at this minute in time, sometimes the only thing you can hold on to at the end is hope. Hope for a better future. Hope of a day when there will be no more suffering, no more pain or death. And that's ultimately what suffering is to produce. It's to make us hope. It's to make us long for a better place to long for heaven. Joni Erickson Tata also said, sometimes hope is all you can have, because she wrote this, suffering keeps swelling our feet so that earth's shoes 
won't fit. Suffering is to keep swelling our feet so that earth shoes won't fit. See, suffering is to make us homesick for heaven. It's to ultimately lead to hope. So, we do have purpose in suffering now because it's part of God's plan, and yet that's still not easy. Is there any real benefit to being a Christian? Well, the final section just is going to be this. We can have certain hope. We can have certain hope, because verse 4 introduces this idea of hope at the end, and then the rest of this section elaborates why, because look at what he says in verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. We can have hope. Hope won't disappoint us. It won't shame or deceive us. It won't disappear. Why? Because God has poured His love into our hearts by His Spirit. See, if you're a Christian, you have God's Spirit, we were singing about it, living inside of you. He assures us later on in Romans, He'll tell us that, that you are a child of God, loved by Him. And, you know, people who are suffering have, in the midst of it, sometimes I've heard them say how they've felt really close to God and have really experienced His love. And that is what verse 5 is talking about experiencing the love of God inwardly. So, we can have certain hope because of God's love. And yet, it's not our experience all the time, is it? Don't always feel the love of God, especially if there's suffering. How can we be sure God loves us? Well, that's why verse 6 flows from verse 5. It's the connecting word is there for Maybe not here in this translation, but for, yes, we can feel God's love, but many times we don't feel it, especially maybe during suffering. That's why we've got to realize verse 6 flows from verse 5, because God's love is not just based on my feelings or your feelings, because those can fluctuate, can't they? What's God's love based on? Well, look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. We were powerless. He takes all the initiative. He does all the work. We're powerless. I have a friend who used to always complain, why aren't the guys taking the initiative and asking girls out, and, and, and they're just sitting back doing nothing, you know? And, okay, she should probably add a point. Uh, that's another subject. Guys do need to step up. We'll not get into that. But that's not God here. He takes the initiative. He so shows His love on those who are powerless, on the ungodly, those who have rejected Him. He takes the initiative. He dies for the ungodly. And yet, you know, Paul even goes, you know, you might be a little bit familiar about this phrase, Christ dying for sinners or ungodly. So, he goes into a little bit of a logic in verse 7 to show this is more than you just think yourself. Because he goes, well, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Because it's rare for someone to die for someone else. But, you know, for a good person, they might. But 
God, look at what He did, it's far greater. God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He takes the initiative. He comes to us while we're sinners. Enemies. He died for the ungodly. You know, there was a student called Robin Farmer in 1991, he moved back from England to Northern Ireland, and he was working in his family's shop, and a gunman burst in, and he aimed a gun at his father, and in an instinctive moment, the son, Robin, dived in front of his father and took the bullet and shortly died afterwards. Tragic. And yet, amazing, he gave his life for his dad. He loved his dad. His dad was a good man to him, and we go, that's remarkable. And sometimes that might happen. Someone might give their life for someone they love, someone who deserves it, a family member for a good person. That is verse 7. But God's love is so much more in verse 8. He gave his life, as it were, for the shooter, the enemy. The rebel, that's who God gave His life for. His love is greater than any human love. Jesus gave His life for us sinners who have rejected Him. We don't deserve it. He died for the ungodly, the enemy, the unrighteous. His love is so much more greater than any human love who have rejected Him, and yet He loves us. He died for us. He gave His Son for us. And it's because of this amazing love that we have a certain hope for the future. Look at how verse 9 just flows. Since now, because of His love, we have been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Because of His love, because of His death, because we're now justified, we most certainly shall be saved in the future from God's wrath because of this and guaranteed heaven. That's a guaranteed promise because of what He's done. He's going, there's no way it won't happen. He's paid the price. The death has been paid. We deserve the wrath of God. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're saved from. But if we've trusted in Him, we are sure we will be saved from God's wrath, and it's all because of God's love. Folks, you may worry about the future. That's understandable. You, you, you don't know what's going to come next. If you're younger, you might be worrying about exams and, and, and how are you going to get on? Will you get a job? You might worry, am I going to have friends in the future? You might worry, am I ever going to get married? What about my health? Folks, none of those things are guaranteed. I can't give you any promises for any of those things. You could fail your exams. You could get cancer. 
You could suffer. And if you live long enough, you will. But we can be guaranteed a perfect future forever with God. Because we've been reconciled to Him. This is actually an amazing benefit for being a Christian. It's guaranteed. The price has been paid. It's how much more since this has happened. It will definitely come since you've been justified. You shall be saved from God's wrath. And if that doesn't mean much to you now, when you're facing death, it will. Just last week, I was visiting somebody who's been basically given a few weeks to live. Folks, this truth will mean everything when you're faced with death. There's suffering, but we can have a certain future, a certain hope because of God's love. Now, you, and in suffering, and you may be going through it, you may question, does God love me? And you may wonder why, and we don't know why certain things happen. We're not told why someone has this terrible sickness, why this catastrophe has happened, why that relationship has just gone all wrong. And it can be very easy to doubt God's love. But if you look to the cross, Whatever else is going on in your life, that proves beyond all doubt that God loves you. Beyond all doubt. And I can still know objectively God loves me, even if I don't feel it. Even if it doesn't feel it in the moment. Because he gave his life for me in the person and his son. He took the wrath. He experienced hell on the cross that I deserved. And if he's done that for me and he did that and accomplished that in the past, that means he's, he's not going to abandon me now or in the future. He's proved it. I mean, imagine a house on fire and a the children are inside, the dad's outside, and he rushes to go inside to rescue his children, and he does that because of his love for them. Well, then when he's got them rescued, he's not going to then, when he's in a new home, kick them out. He's proved how much he loves them. And then he's going to be for them, and you know that's going to be true. And he is when other difficulties arrive. Well, God has proven his love for us in the past. And it's a guarantee he's with us now and that there's a perfect future to come. That's our privilege. If you're a Christian. If you're not, you have none of these benefits. So, are there any benefits to being a Christian? Folks, we have friendship with God now. We have a purpose in suffering now, and we have a certain hope for the future because of God's love. And what should that lead to? Well, verse 11 says, not only this, but we also rejoice 
in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Rejoicing, joy, that theme is actually throughout this passage, this deep down joy, this lasting satisfaction that you can have, glorying in all that we have in Jesus. Why? Well, because of Him, because of the cross, because of His love. God didn't have to love you or I, but He did, and He's proven it. And it came at infinite cost to Him and pain so that we can ultimately rejoice and have joy. Joy in knowing I'm justified now. Joy in knowing I'm friendship with God, the King of Kings. Joy in knowing that even in the difficulties, God is with me. Joy in knowing that there's a purpose even behind it. Joy in knowing that no matter what, I'm loved. Even though a sinner loved by Him, and joy in knowing that I am guaranteed a perfect home forever with God, where there'll be infinite joy for all eternity. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you, we praise You that through trusting in Jesus, through faith in Him, we're justified. And we have all these benefits. We can, I can, we can talk to You in prayer. We have friendship with You. We have peace. We're no longer under Your wrath. Even in suffering, we can still trust that you're working out your purposes, your plans. But we can know that even in the difficulties that there is a certain future. Lord, we praise you for that hope. Perfection, heaven, with you forever because of your amazing, undeserved love for us sinners. So, Father, help us to treasure all that we have in Jesus and because of Him. In Jesus, our wonderful Savior's name, we pray. Amen.